Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and joining me today is the host of What the Heck on MMA Fighting. I'm talking about Mike Heck. Mike, welcome to Half the Battle. Hearing you say welcome back to Half the Battle, like with me being on the line, was uh, pretty surreal, Daniel. I listen to the show as much as I possibly can. I know things are a little crazy right now without having events on, but I do listen all the time, especially when there's events coming up because you guys break things down so well. So it's a pleasure to be on the other side of you. I think the only time we've ever been on a show together was with Nick Baldwin. Remember that show he used to do? We had like four or five people together where we'd make our fight picks. And I think it was uh, the one fight I remember picking was uh, – Lauren Murphy versus Caitlin Chukagian. It was that card, whenever that was. But I think that was the only time you and I have ever been on a show together. Man, that was a long time ago. Your memory <laughs> is unbelievable, but I really do appreciate the kind words and obviously know that I'm a fan of yours as well. And Mike, look, I got to ask you the important question off the bat. Uh, as a lifelong Massachusetts native, how do you feel about Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay? I wish I could say I was surprised and furious and angry about it, but I wasn't surprised. I mean, what else could the guy do in New England? If he thinks there's other challenges out there for him, all the power to him. He said the right thing's going out. Obviously, Gronk's going over there, too. So, I mean, it, there just comes a time for everybody to move on and look for different challenges. And I, I kind of feel with Brady the same way I felt when Ray Bork left the Bruins to go to the Colorado Avalanche. I still rooted for Ray Bork. I'll still root for Tom Brady. Obviously, the Patriots will be at the forefront and, you know, whatever the hell they end up doing there with Edelman and the rest of the crew. And I think Belichick and Brady, I think this is good for both of those guys. They both have these egos. They feel like they can win without each other. And now we're going to see who does it better. And man, it's almost like a test for true fans of uh, the Patriots. You know, for me personally, I'm a Falcons fan, born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, been here my whole life, will only root for that team. But what's interesting is when you got, you know, franchise players like Tom Brady or in other sports, LeBron, people are just fans of the athletes themselves and not even the team. So for you as a Massachusetts native, was it like, dude, I'm sticking with the Patriots. Uh, go do your thing, Tom. Thank you for uh, your time with us. I've always been a Patriots fan. Like I, I was with them in the nineties, like when they were one in 15, I was still a Patriots fan, still wearing my Patriots sweatsuit to elementary school every day. Um, I always thought Drew Bledsoe was going to be the savior. And in, in, in many ways he was like, once they drafted Drew Bledsoe and they got Bill Parcells, things really started to change. And I'll be the first one to admit the year they won that first Super Bowl when Brady got hurt, and Bledsoe started the AFC championship game or came in in the AFC championship game, won that game against the Steelers. I was like, oh, keep Brady on the bench. I'm a Bledsoe guy. Let's keep him in there. And it turns out I was dead wrong because Tom Brady went on to have the greatest career of any NFL quarterback of all time. So I will always appreciate what Tom Brady brought to the city and brought to New England itself. But again, I understand what he's trying to do. He wants to get a different challenge and wants to win a title without Belichick and without Kraft and you know, he's done enough for us, so I'm, I'm down for it. Go get him, man. But uh, if we meet in the Super Bowl, I'm not rooting for you. <laughs> I mean, it is cool to see someone, you know, with so many aspirations. You want to see him go start a club up from ground zero, take him all the way to a Super Bowl. So that's cool. But again, as a Patriots fan, was it at all, you know, a dagger in the gut when Gronk <laughs> went to? I'm not, I'm not surprised. I mean, I don't know what he's going to do with his with his WWE 24-7 title now. Is he going to be defending it while he's while he's playing against the Green Bay Packers or against the Carolina Panthers? I don't know. But uh, 
Gronk's just such a such a wild man. Like it doesn't surprise me at all. So you know, good for him. I, honestly, like the one thing I hope for both of those guys is that they can stay healthy. I mean, that's the the, the one thing that that I would be concerned with if I'm a Tampa Bay fan. You get 40 year old Brady, and you have a a guy in Gronk who's just such a wild animal that he could get hurt on a Friday night going through Ebor City in Tampa, as opposed let alone just being on the field playing in a football game. So. Cool. It's it's gonna be cool to kind of see them together and see what they can do, especially with those other guys like Mike Evans and Goodwin, and you know they have a they have a strong offense right now. So it's gonna be real interesting to see how they can put it all together and kind of see Brady working under a different sort of a flow and a different kind of an offense. So it's gonna be interesting. I'm I'm fascinated by it, but again, we're in such a uncertain time right now. Like who knows what's even gonna happen with the NFL season? Yeah, well said. Uh, were you at all like T minus seven days until uh, Belichick leaves too? <laughs> no, I didn't think he was going anywhere. I thought I think he's licking his lips right now. He's like, ah, oh, I'm seeing what everybody's saying. I see what Mike and Daniel are saying. They think we're, we're we may not be that great. You know, we're not going to be a Super Bowl contender. He's loving this. He's loving everybody doubting him right now. It's going to be cool for me here in the South because we're going to get to play against Tom Brady a few times. Uh, so you know, I'm rooting for the Falcons all day. Now, Mike, uh, how's quarantine life been treating you, man? Because look, it's obviously different for everybody. Uh, on the quarantine edition of Half the Battle, I've had fighters. Uh, my favorite members of the media, just all kinds of personalities from different walks of life. So I got to know from Mike Heck, the host of What the Heck on MMA Fighting, how's quarantine life been treating you? Honestly, it hasn't changed very much for me because I usually did all my stuff from home anyway. So what, before I even got out with MMA Fighting, I was just interviewing fighters all the time and hosting a couple of different shows. So the only thing that's changed is that when I wake up in the morning and I shower and get ready, I'm not taking my kid to school and then picking him up in the afternoon. He's home with me the whole time. So that's kind of one of the challenging things because, you know, if you watch it in my old interviews, he would come downstairs or come upstairs and, and try to creep his way into interviews. But I knew between 8.30 and 2.30, that wasn't going to happen. But now, I, I mean, he could walk in here at any time at this point. He's just downstairs chilling and playing Spider-Man at this point. So I hear him just flipping and jumping around. But other than that, like nothing's really changed. Like my wife's home a little bit more, so we get to spend some more time together. But not really much has changed. Like we get outside and we play. So outside of just having like that extra family time and having him home, not really has changed for me. But, you know, the news cycle has been nuts in MMA despite all of this. It really has. I mean, there's always something to talk about. But on a positive note, man, which fight are you looking forward to the most at UFC 249? Because there's obviously so many fights to pick from. You look at the early prelims. They got fights like Vicente Luque versus Nico Price. Early on the prelims, that speaks volumes to how stacked this car truly is. If you had to pick, you know, your top three that you're just really looking forward to, what do you think they'd be, Mike? I mean, obviously, the main event is so ridiculous. I can't wait to see it, especially now that Gaethje has that extra time to get ready. That's just such a wild fight. I'm really excited for that. I am so fascinated with Dominic Cruz coming back. Like, I really want to see what that's going to look like. Obviously, Cejudo's just been on this tear. I know he's uh, he's a favorite of half the battle. You guys love the cringiness of Henry Cejudo. It's great. But uh, I, I just can't wait to see what Dominic Cruz looks like after three-plus years away from the sport. I mean, he didn't look great against Cody Garbrandt, but... You have to think after coming off a performance like that, you're thinking about that all the time. You're thinking about that night where Cody just just did whatever he wanted. He styled on him. He almost embarrassed him if you're a guy like Dominic Cruz. So that's really interesting to see how that's going to play out. I mean, there's just so many there's just so many good fights in that card. It's just loaded from top to bottom. Uh, I, obviously, Luke and Price is a great fight. I love Charles Rosa versus Bryce Mitchell. That's a great fight. Of course, Charles Rosa is a fellow New Englander himself. 
Uh, but Mitchell's just been on this great tear. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see Jorgen DeCastro versus Greg Hardy as well. I mean, this is the New England bias playing out here, but uh, DeCastro is looking for a step up. He had that great win over Justin Taffa. Hardy's just been kind of on this weird wavelength ever since signing with the UFC. Just everything you expected could happen to a guy like Greg Hardy has happened to him already. So seeing those guys mix it up a little bit, that's going to be a lot of fun. I just, I just selfishly, I just want to see these fights. Like, I just want to see these guys fight. And I know there's two sides to the story, but at this point, like I'm ready being, being in the quarantine spot for a while. Like I'm ready to, to go back and just watch fights and cover them again, man. I'm sure you're feeling the same way. Oh, 100%. And I think it's going to happen. This time it doesn't seem like, well, will it happen? Won't it happen? If you know anything about Florida, you know that they kind of <laughs> operate on their own. And even though it's southeast, uh, to me, it's like the wild, wild west. And we're going to get to the New England connection here in a sec. We're going to get to the Calvin Caters, the Charles Rosas, even Jorgon de Castro, who's a native now. But uh, what I wanted to talk to you about was the fight you alluded to between Cruz and and Cejudo. Now it's interesting because a lot of people's narratives going into this fight is going to be how Dominic Cruz is coming off such a big layoff and historically speaking guys coming off big layoffs don't perform as well and you know while that's true I would not apply that to a guy like Dominic Cruz because this is a guy who's come off a massive layoff before and not just won a fight Mike but went on to dethrone TJ Dillashaw while he was champion so this guy's won UFC gold off a massive layoff before so I'm not using that as a factor to pick Cejudo. However, what's really intriguing to me is how they match up stylistically because last few fights, you've really been seeing a change in Henry Cejudo. I really feel like he's leveled up since he hit that championship status. And, you know, you've seen glimpses here and there on the come up, but now that he is that champ champ plus Olympic gold medalist, you see the confidence. You see him going out there, taking more risks. And also, physically speaking, he's put on a lot of size, really filling out that frame. So do you think it's a case where Dominic Cruz is going to be able to, you know, sit on the outside, do his amazing footwork, which, by the way, some of the most innovative footwork in the history of the sport, and potentially pick apart Cejudo for three of the five rounds? Or is it a case where, you know, the power, the athleticism, and also the activity of Henry Cejudo will simply trump uh, Dominic Cruz? And that's so interesting about this fight is we have all these questions and we don't have any answers. Like, we're not going to know. Like, three and a half years is a long time. And I was at that fight when he beat TJ Dillashaw in Boston. I was there as a fan, and it was such a, such a cool moment to see Cruz, after all this time, get the title back that he really never lost. And it was just an amazing moment. And what if he could do it again against the best in that division, the best we've seen in a while? And, and you're right about Henry Cejudo because – I think we've all known that he's had this inside of him. And I think the loss of Demetrius Johnson and, you know, even the Joseph Benavides fight, we were like, eh, maybe he doesn't. I'm not really sure. And then, like, all of a sudden, he, it was almost just like he he had this – it was almost like they put him on this this weird wavelength. Like, this is how you have to fight. You're an Olympic wrestler. Like, you have to just wrestle everybody. And then he just, like – it seemed like to me that all the noise that people were saying – he just blocked it all out. And he was like, you know what? I'm just going to be me. Like he found himself as a fighter. And you see that more and more and more. You saw it in the Dillashaw fight. Like no one expected him to go out there and do what he did to TJ Dillashaw. Just nobody. And that's what makes this fight so interesting because we have no idea. Like how is he going to prepare for Dominic Cruz? Like do you go back and just watch the Garbrandt fight? Do you go back and watch the Dillashaw fight? Like how can you do that with a guy who – has not been sitting on the couch for the last three and a half years. He's been working and doing different things. Cruz has probably been watching a very active Henry Cejudo through, throughout these last things. Not very active, but at least he's been more active than Cruz has been. So he's been studying and doing his different things and trying to see how he can get better. 
Cejudo trying to prepare for this fight, like, what do you go off of? That's what makes things even more interesting for me. And when Cruz came back the first time, he was still like, you know, in his early 30s and things like that. But now he's coming back. Plus, he's got father time to match up with as well. And that makes things even more interesting. So there's just so many questions that that's what make this fight so great. There's so many questions. We're not even going to have answers to them until May 9th, maybe even May 10th. We can look at it even closer. And that's why this fight's so fascinating to me. Uh, absolutely. And you bring up the father time and I'm glad you did. Not because I would count out a man of, you know, Dominic Cruz's status. I, the guy's unbelievable, but more so to the fact that his style does heavily rely on speed, on reflexes. You know, he does fight with his hands down because that footwork, it's so elusive. He knows exactly where he is in that pocket, in his range. But now, has he slowed down a bit to where he can be caught like someone like Henry Cejudo? That's what I'm so intrigued about, Mike. Now, obviously, we got to talk about this New England uh, connection because Calvin Cater, look, this is a guy who, he didn't even have to be a UFC fighter. I mean, firstly, <laughs> when he got signed, I believe he was, what, 15-2 and two or 16-2, and two, something like that. But he had a full-time gig as a fight promoter. I mean, this is a very smart guy. He can do whatever he wants. He chose to be a UFC fighter, Mike. And not only did he choose to do that, he's not half-assing it. Now he's in the top 10 of one of the most stacked divisions in the entire sport. And it feels like he's really making his run right now. But as you know, Mike, if you want to be in the top 10 of the UFC featherweight division, you better go out there and beat a guy like Jeremy Stevens. And that's easier said than done. Rafael Dos Anjos wasn't able to go out there and beat Jeremy Stevens. Josh Emmett wasn't able to go out there and beat Jeremy Stevens. So in your opinion, how big of a step up is this for Calvin Cater? Is he ready to rise to the occasion? And also, what do you just think about this moment in general? Because as you know, all the top prospects have to fight Jeremy Stevens if they want to move up to the top five echelon. I think it's perfect matchmaking. This is the fight that I actually thought would was perfect after the Zabit fight. You know, Cater showed some signs in that, and I think he, the UFC kind of owed him a favor after taking that fight because he was supposed to be the hometown guy fighting Zabit in Boston in front of all of his fans in a co-made event, and then things happened and, and ended up being in Russia in a main event and not a five-round fight. And as many people would attest to, if you watch that fight, you saw the momentum switch in that third round, maybe even like the end of the second round, and people will say, had it been a five-round fight, Cater probably would have won it, but again, Zabit might have approached things differently in his own right. But still, I think Stevens' fight is a is a great matchup. Stevens is looking for, you know, to to continue his rise. He he still thinks he has it in him. He still thinks he could be a champion or at least a contender. And and Cater, you got to feel for the guy, man. I mean, between the Boston and the Russia thing, he's been on this 249 card ever since the card was announced. Like Brooklyn, Tatachi Palace. Now May 9th, like this guy has been waiting and I mean, Stevens is kind of going through the same thing here, but to prepare for a fight and have it being taken away. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Maybe you will have it. We're just going to go on the other side of the country. Oh, it's gone again. All right. We're going to take a couple weeks off to and then five days later, he finds out he's fighting on May 9th. So this has just been an emotional roller coaster for him. And I know from talking to Cater and, and his manager, Tyson Chartier, he just wants to fight at this point. Like, let's just get to May 9th and fight. Uh, and Stevens is no joke, man. He's a legit contender. That fight with the Aya Rodriguez was ridiculous in Boston. Uh, so Stevens still has some gas in that tank. So don't, no one can overlook Jeremy Stevens, like you said. But uh, a big win over Jeremy Stevens puts him puts him up in the rankings a little bit, set up for another big fight. Featherweight's really interesting right now, if you really look at it. Hasn't been a real interesting division in the last couple of, the, couple of years, but when you're seeing guys like Kader and you're seeing guys like Shane Burgos come up, plus the Yair's and the Korean Zombies, really close to getting title shots, things are really interesting at 145. 
Yeah, well said. Even some guys towards the end of the rankings, Sodiq Youssef, I've always been very high on him. But when you talk about mental fortitude, you talk about Calvin Cater because like you alluded to, Mike, he didn't have to take that fight with Zabit in Russia. He was originally supposed to fight him in Boston, and it's just such a night and day difference. Like, hey, I got a homecoming against this up-and-coming prospect. Well, now uh, we got to go to Russia and fight him, right, where... uh, Everything is stacked against you. And I'm not even just talking about the judges. I'm talking about when you fly into Russia. I know because I've had fighters fight there before. And let's just say they don't really set things up for you to win uh, if you're not Russian. And uh, Calvin Cater, you know, went out there, won that third round. A lot of people make the argument he would have won the fourth and fifth had there been championship rounds, which is interesting because it was a main event fight, Mike. And in this era of the sport, main events, even non-title fights are five rounds. This one was three. So, Calvin could sit here and, you know, put his head down and be like, man, all the odds are stacked against me, even with the fight cancellations at UFC 249. But that's not the kind of guy he is. I've been seeing this guy training his ass off like nothing bad has happened whatsoever. And I truly do expect win, lose or draw at UFC 249. We're going to we're going to see the best Calvin Cater we've ever seen, Mike. That's a great fight. I, I love that fight. Uh, I can't believe I didn't mention it in my top three. It kind of like I'm kicking myself in the tail for not doing that. But Cater Stevens is a great fight. Just it's just the perfect matchup to to add the, to this formula that is May 9th, this wildness that we are here when all these other sports are canceled. The UFC is coming out with not one, not two, not three events, but three events at a one week's time span, all starting with UFC 249. They're loading the deck, and that's just a, a great card, a great addition to it. So tell me about this kid, Jorgan De Castro, because, man, obviously he moved to Massachusetts. I believe he's originally from a small place in Africa. The guy is a real, real badass. Kicks like a mule. Obviously, his contender series fight was actually against NFC vet Alton Meeks, who I called one of his fights uh, in the NFC. And Alton Meeks is a guy, he ran through his opponent in the NFC. Then he goes to contender series and... Man, Jorgan De Castro made him look like he was absolutely nothing. We're talking about a guy with a serious wrestling background. Then, fast forward to a UFC debut, knocks out Justin Taffa, who, by the way, was Mark Hunt's protege. It's not like he took him down and laid on him, Mike. He knocked him out standing, beat him at his own game. Now he's got the chance to go out there and beat the very hype, the very athletic, the very talented Greg Hardy. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of narratives anytime someone fights Greg Hardy, but just from a stylistic uh perspective you think uh you think Jorgen de Castro is up for the challenge he's definitely up for the challenge he asked for this fight he wanted it and he got it so I thought after uh after the Hardy fight in Boston I thought de Castro was like the perfect opponent for him I like de Castro just a very positive guy he's just just smiling he's having a good time and you know one of the things he said to me in a recent interview that really stuck out is he said that I want to be the David Ortiz of MMA like that's what he wants to be he wants to be a big poppy of the UFC I bet you getting, like that right I was like oh this is great but you know getting a win over a guy like Greg Hardy that's an instant bump to getting to that place and Hardy DeCastro yeah he doesn't have a lot of experience but neither does Greg Hardy you know, DeCash is a guy you can build off of. He's got that world travelness. He's got a great story behind him. He works security at a high school in Fall River, Massachusetts, along with being an MMA fighter. And the road to get here has been a really interesting one between grappling matches and, you know, he's had some fights on the amateur scene with some big names. And to get to this point, to fight for the UFC, DeCastro, I don't think a lot of people expected him to get to this point. So now that he's here, he's hungry. He's got the fight that he wants. That doesn't happen to a guy who's got one win in the UFC to to call the UFC and ask for a guy like Greg Hardy, a big name in the sports world, to get it. 
the UFC obviously sees something in him too. So I think from a business and a matchmaking perspective, you're kind of in a win-win situation because if Hardy wins, yeah, he could still continue to put him out there and and build a name off of him in the sport of mixed martial arts. But if DeCastro wins, you got another potential superstar in your hands where the momentum, as far as how the fans view him, is going to be an all-new level. So there's a lot on the line here for both of these guys. It's an interesting fight, and I would be shocked if it gets out of the first round, Daniel. Yeah, well said. And obviously with DeCastro... I mean, we talked about what he brings to the table in terms of his power, his athleticism, but I love the guy's mindset. I mean, you hear him talk, and to me, it sounds like, okay, this is a guy that can go far. This is a guy that's focused. This is a guy that, you know, he doesn't take no for an answer and what he's been through in the past. You know, things don't even seem like such a big deal to him. He can just weather any kind of storm, so I'm very curious to see how he develops because he's so young in his career. He's had less than 10 pro fights, so we need to take it step by step, but obviously the UFC is comfortable putting him in there with Hardy, who we've seen Hardy since his pro debut on Contender Series. Up until now, he just uh, lost to a top five guy in Alexander Volkov, so we've seen every single fight Hardy has had. Now it's uh, DeCastro's turn, but just to switch gears a little bit, so look, not all, but many media members have been criticized for being too negative around, you know, this what's been going on. And as a result, Dana doesn't want to provide them with any information. Now, I've never once heard Mike Heck bitch or complain about anything ever. So what I want to know is what's your motivation for continuing to produce content with a positive outlook? That's just who I am, man. Like I'm, a, I'm always a silver lining guy. I'm a positive thinker. I'm not a complainer. Like the way I see it is I like to weigh options. Like I, I could go in there when Dana said, we're going to fight on April 18th, you know, COVID be damned and been like, oh, you're, you're an idiot. Like, I can't believe you're doing this and putting everybody's health at risk. But I also look at it from his sense. Like he's not going to go in there and not do his research, not do his homework. He's not just going to say April 18th, Let's just get these guys out here and fight. There's no way that he hasn't been spending all this time, like he talked about, you know, talking to doctors, talking to attorneys, talking to everybody involved about how to put this event on as safely as possible. So I understand why people are criti have criticized Dana, no doubt about it. I totally understand where they're coming from. But the UFC, especially being, you know, you're on ESPN now, you're trying to you know, your goal was to become the the fastest rising sport in the world. And you're there like you're you're right there. And if you want to if you go and put on an event and all of a sudden two or three guys get the coronavirus after that card, like you have so much egg on your face, it's not even funny. So if you feel like you can do this and you've done your due diligence, I'm OK with it. The fighters are getting paid. I'm OK with that, too. That's the first and foremost thing. The one question I've had about this whole thing is when you say, you know, the media doesn't need to know what we're doing for health and safety. We're going to go above and beyond. It's going to be on ESPN. That's all you need to know. Like, what if I, like me being a husband and a father, what if, like, what if MMA fighting says, Mike, you're on the East coast. We want you to go to Florida to cover this event from a journalistic perspective and a professional perspective. I have to look into it and be like, I can't just say no, I have to look at it, but these are questions I'm going to want to know. Like, I want to know how you're testing, how often you're testing. Am I getting tested? What if I get it? How are you going to quarantine me? Are you going to cover that? Like, these are things that I need to know because I have a seven-year-old at home and I can't be coming back from Florida to Massachusetts on an airplane there and an airplane back, potentially having the coronavirus. So I think it's more than fair to want to get the answers to those questions on how things are being tested from a, from a professional perspective. Lyman Good was supposed to fight on April 18th. He had COVID. I talked to Alex Hernandez last week who didn't get tested for it, but he probably had it and was getting ready to fight Islam Makachev. So I understand 
both sides of the perspective of the spectrum here. I'm not here. I'm not a complainer. I'm not a guy that's going to go out and be all negative on Twitter. I did. I did get a little negative and I almost regret doing it when some of the managers that I respect and some of the fighters I respect went on Twitter and said, well, the MMA media is the reason why this event got canceled. That is such garbage. I'm sorry. It's not true. It's not because of us. Because think about it from, from this perspective. I just got this job of MMA fighting. I worked my ass off to get here. And you think like not having UFC 249 on April 18th was a good thing for me? It was a horrible thing for me. It could be a horrible thing for a lot of people in this space. So nobody celebrated UFC 249 being canceled. We just had questions that have still not been answered to this point. So that's where I come from. I understand from a selfish perspective, from a fan's perspective like you, I want to see these fights. And if they could do it and they pull it off on May 9th and the 13th and the 16th and everyone comes out of there healthy and unscathed and we have fights again, no one's going to be happier than me. But I just want answers to some of these questions that have nothing to do with fighting because this is more important than two guys getting in a cage and punching each other in the face. Yeah. And, you know, since the beginning of, you know, the quarantine edition, I've been saying that obviously I want fights for the selfish reasons you mentioned. But the more important thing is that they're taking the right steps, the right guidelines. And, you know, obviously I heard Dana, he submitted a 30 page proposal to the mayor of Las Vegas. So I feel like they have been taking the right steps behind the scenes, even though I don't know the exact details. I, I just have a feeling that, like you said, uh, if someone gets, you know, really sick off one of these events, it's going to be such a such a black eye that I'm pretty damn sure and pretty damn confident that they're taking the necessary measures. So now we just got to hope that, you know, everything goes smoothly and everyone's healthy and safe. So that's what I'm hoping for. So, Mike, on a separate note, man, look. What's so interesting about the sport is that it consistently evolves, you know, we could say year by year, but how about day by day, even month by month, things change so fast. The landscape is consistently evolving. And what I want to know is who are a few prospects you think have potential to either someday be ranked, maybe hold a belt or just go far in this crazy sport? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I think at the top of my list and a lot of other people's list, Brandon Roy Val's right up there because he could fight at 25, he could fight at 35. That dude, I know he's, he's supposed to fight on the contender series. Who knows where things stand at that point? Um, but, I mean, between the way he fights, I mean, he's just such a such a wild man trying to get finishes at all costs, like, you know, whether it's submission or knockout, he's just such a, such a beast. Now as the LFA record for the fastest submission in history captured their title. So I think him being on the contender series is, uh, is well-deserved and should have happened a while ago. Um, I think another guy, Cody Brundage is another guy. He's the husband of, uh, Amanda Bobby Cooper. This guy's been murdering it. Um, on the regional scene in, in in the Michigan area for lights out championship, he just got another win. He's got like he's got two titles for them now. Um, from what I understand, he may be look heading to the contender series. Uh, I mean, his wrestling pedigree is is outstanding. I know he's he's a D one wrestler. Um, he's just really good, and he could cause some fits for a lot of guys at eighty five or at two hundred five. So he's a guy to keep your eye on. A couple guys from like the New England scene. Mitch Raposo is a guy to keep your eye on. He's only been a pro for, I think he's four and oh as a pro right now, but he had a, you know, he had a, an amateur career where he just like, he just annihilated everybody. Like he didn't, I don't think he got any finishes as an amateur, but he just, he just habibed everybody just, uh, just annihilate them like 30, 23s to, to like every opponent he had. But since he turned pro, he's just been wiping everybody out in the first round. He's a guy who's done it at 35. He's a 25 or two. Definitely got to keep your eye on it. I'd be shocked if he's not on the contender series this year. And another new England guy, 
is uh, this guy by the name of Don Shanus. He's a 145-pounder. He was actually supposed to headline the last Cage Titans event, which was supposed to be on Flow Combat. Um, I had spoken to him before the event got canceled. This guy is so popular in New England, he sold $25,000 worth of tickets to this event before it got canceled. He had other fighters legitimately hitting him up being like, dude, like, what can we do? Like, he had to go to to other fighters to be like, hey, you need help with your ticket sales? Like, I got four or five more people, like, who want tickets. So, like, he was helping other fighters get ticket sales, too. Um, great run. He had a couple of losses, but he also broke his neck, in, like, in the middle of one of those fights. Uh, but ever since he came back from the broken neck, he's got four wins, four finishes, and he can talk, man. This guy, this guy's something else. He's got an incredible story. Um, he's perfect, perfect for, for the, the contender series. This guy's guy perfect, perfect, but he's getting up there. He's 29, almost 30 years old right now. So his clock's kind of ticking at this point, but he's a guy to keep an eye on, man. And then some of the, some of the other guys, this guy, uh, Wait, real quick, real quick. Sorry. Yeah. I, I got to cut you off. You're saying this guy had a broken neck. Firstly, tell me his name one more time. Don Shanus. How do you come back from a broken neck? <laughs> he broke his neck in the fight. In, in the, the fight. fight. And went the full three rounds. He yeah, lost by decision with, with a broken the neck in the fight. This, this guy, guy is, is a monster. monster. He came yeah, back, like, like, before his neck, like, he got some, sur he got, like, surgery to, to to do something with his neck. And they they screwed up his larynx. So, so it, like, messed up his voice for a while, too. Oh, so, like, man. when he was doing pre-fight interviews and everything, like, he was talking, like, uh, like he had a like he had this big throat. His voice is really squeaky and stuff. So like his story is is crazy. He's got a really crazy stories, but that's that's perfect for contender series. So that's a guy I would look at. Raposo definitely is going to be there. Brundage I could definitely see there. And Roy Val looks like he's right up right around there as well. So those four I have in mind. Another guy to watch is a guy named L.J. Raboli, who uh, Mickey Gall. He trains with Mickey Gall and goes and travels with this guy, but. I've been hearing about Raboli since he was an amateur for a while now. I think he's 2-0 and as a pro. He's just getting better and better. And, you know, when you're going around with Mickey and you're training at all these different places with, with the Matt Browns and the Dillashaws and the Cerrones, you're only going to get better at a young age. So that's another guy to keep an eye on. What about this kid, Randy Costa? I mean, look, he got signed in the UFC at only 4-0. and Actually made his uh, debut in Atlanta, Georgia. I was there. And, man, that kid put on a show. Then in his uh, sophomore appearance, goes out there, knocks out Boston Salmon in Boston. Uh, man, I feel like they got to take it slow because, you know, he's only had, you know, what, six pro fights or something like that. But the kid's very talented, hits like a truck. Uh, I'm sure you've known about him since before his UFC career. What can you tell us about uh, this kid, Randy Costa? Good head on his shoulders too. He's uh, I feel like he like th that's a common thing with all these New England guys, the De Castros, the Caters that we all talked about is because although they have their own respective teams, they all sort of come together as a region. And Joe Lozon is a big reason for that. There's legendary tales here in New England about Saturday sparring at Lozon MMA, where the regiment guys and these guys from all over the state and from all over the region, they all migrate to Lozon's on Saturdays and they just beat the shit out of each other every Saturday. Like, it's crazy. That's where I started hearing about guys like Costa and guys like Raposo and guys like DeCastro. They would go in there and DeCastro would have these like monumental sparring sessions with Greg Rebello. And they would, oh, like, this is like a pay-per-view main event, these two guys, and just in there, just beating the hell out of each other. Um, and I feel like Lozon's really passed that knowledge on and 
you know, sort of that mentality onto everybody. Because if you talk to all these guys, they all look at fighting exactly the same. Like they're not shit talkers. They don't call each other out. Like they're just like, we want to go in there and just be the best we can be. And Costa is like one of those guys. Like he's got an interesting story himself. He's an exciting guy. He's obsessed with martial arts and has been for a long time. So I see like when you look at a guy like Costa and then you look at a guy like Mitch Raposo and you interview them, it's almost like you're interviewing the same guy. Like it's really crazy to see how these guys develop together and, you know, they have the same mentality because of what Joe Lozon passes on to them. So Costa's got a, a great mindset, a great mentality. He's an exciting fighter. And I remember I did an interview with him recently how he said he, he wasn't going to fight during this coronavirus thing. He's like, luckily, I'm in a position where, you know, I've saved my money. I got enough set aside. Like, I don't have to worry. I don't have to fight right now. And uh, people would respond to it like, oh, who's this guy? Who's this guy? And then people who know him were, were commenting back like, you'll know, you'll know. And they would show the gif of him finishing Boston Salmon. Cost is a, a, an exciting prospect at 135 pounds. There's a lot of exciting prospects coming out of New England. So, and I think it's because of the the lessons they've learned and the guidance they've gotten from the Rebellos and the and the Lozons and other guys like that. Yeah, and another guy who we actually haven't mentioned yet is uh, Robbie Font. I mean, yeah. Rob Font's a guy who he was, you know. He had so much potential. He still does. And when he got signed in the UFC, they felt like he was ready to make a run right away. So they kind of rushed him up to some fights. But now I feel like we're seeing the best version of Rob Font we've ever seen. And Sky truly is the limit for a guy like that has all the physical tools, the techniques on point. Now it's all about the seasoning and the experience. I feel like he's taking the right steps. Uh, what do you think about a guy like Rob Font? Font's good, man. He's uh, he's a guy that people have been watching in New England for a long time. He's from uh, I grew up in Burlington. He's from Woburn, so it's like five minutes away from each other. So Fonts always had sort of this, you know, cult following behind him in that area. But uh, he's a little hurt right now. He's just came off of surgery. So uh, speaking with his manager, they're gonna try, like, if all goes well here with his recovery and things are on track, they're gonna try to get him back in before the end of the year. But you know, we'll see. It was kind of kind of rough coming off those two wins, and then you have to go under the knife and and recover like that. But you know, once he comes back, sometimes it's just like a baseball player. You throw at your elbow, throw at your shoulder. You got to get the Tommy John surgery. It sucks. You're out for a year or so, but you come back and you're stronger and you're better than ever. So this could be something like that for Font. And if Cater can continue doing what he's doing, kind of set the table for him, that's just going to increase the momentum even more for for Font and the New England cartel and and that whole team. Absolutely. Yeah. We wish Rob Font nothing but the best. Didn't know about that surgery. So wish him a speedy recovery. And Mike, you know, I'm not going to let you get out of here without uh, speaking about your new show. What the heck on MMA fighting? Obviously, congratulations for, for getting that on the platform. It's on. Uh, firstly, let us know when we can listen to it, where we can listen to it. Any other details you want to let us know? It's all you, buddy. Let us know. Uh, so it drops every Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern uh, on the website, on the YouTube channel, uh, on the podcast, anywhere you can find your podcast. So uh, finding a name for that for this show was like a nightmare because we went it was like a weak conversation. Like we know what we're going to do, like we know who's coming on, but what are we going to name it? And there are all these things that we threw out there and going through, as you could probably attest to. There's 7 million MMA podcasts out there like going through like, oh, this sounds like a cool name and you go and Google and be like, oh, someone's already got it. Oh, someone's already got that one. And we went through like all these different ones. And finally, someone was like, let's go with what the heck. And I'm like, ah, I mean, I've heard that my entire life. So it makes all the sense in the world. 
Um, so that's what we landed on, but really enjoying doing it. It's pretty much what I've done the entire time. Just interview fighters. We just put it all together in one show. Uh, it's just really cool. Just, it's kind of surreal seeing my name on MMA fighting. I'm not going to lie. Like it's a site I've visited every, every day for probably a decade now. And like, it doesn't feel real, honestly. Like, and there are a lot of other people, there's a lot of other talented people out there that may have deserved the shot, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of that team and to have a show on that network. So that's it, man. Just uh, keep grinding away. We just keep keep plugging away and keep doing these interviews and keep bringing you stories, especially in a time like this. I think everybody needs that, and I hope everyone's enjoying them and uh, get a chance to consume some sort of MMA content while there's not fights going on, at least for the next almost two weeks or so. And, man, I'm genuinely happy for you that you have that, man, because, you know, I couldn't think of a more deserving guy. And it's really cool to see, not just in your case, but some of the other outlets, I feel like, the talent these days is growing exponentially. I mean, you got guys like Nolan King over at MMA Junkie, even my boy Dan Tom. You got James Lynch at The Score. You got Aaron Bronstetter at TSN, and obviously you at MMA Fighting. So now I really feel like the MMA media, the best are looking like the best. So now it's up to the rest to catch up. So I'm really happy for you about that, man. Uh, so before I let you go, let them know where they can follow you. Anything else you want to tell the fans, go ahead. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at MikeHeck underscore JR, uh, Instagram, which I still don't really use, uh, Mike underscore Heck JR. Uh, and thanks for having me, man. Like uh, I like I said, I do listen to your show all the time. You and Shaq going back and forth is just hilarious. Uh, I always hear Shaq and, uh, and hear him say treating him according, treat him accordingly. I just love listening to the show. Welcome back to Half the Battle. It's just stuck in my mind all the time. So I'm excited. Next week, you'll probably have a new show breaking down some fights, man. I can't wait to listen to it. So thanks for having me, brother. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure, and I truly appreciate the kind words for all the fans. Make sure you follow Mike. You can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. I'll be back later this week for another quarantine edition. I got UFC lightweight Drew Dober. You know we're going to have a very exciting conversation. The guy's in the best point of his career right now. And uh, just someone with an amazing mindset. If you hear him talk, uh, definitely someone you want to keep hearing talk. Very positive guy. Also going to be joined by PFL middleweight champion Lewis Taylor. Another super cool dude. Can't wait to talk to him. And it's cool because he won the million dollars at 37 years old. He already had a full career. He could have called it quits, but he got to finally achieve what so many fighters, you know, strive to do their entire careers he finally got to do it so i can't wait to talk to him and then next week the ufc 249 edition of half the battle we will break down every single fight start to finish give a pick cannot wait so thank you guys so much for the time thank you mike and uh until the next time let's cash these bets <laughs>